Welcome back to the Tank Me Later podcast. This is episode 39. We are back after a week off. Uh, this time we're going to be going through a few different things, uh, notably some dynasty sell highs, some buy lows, uh, some rookie shout outs, and then some other situations around the league that impact fantasy uh, that we're going to take a quick look at. Uh, so let's go ahead and get into it. And before we discuss some of the dynasty topics, just wanted to remind everyone listening uh, that, or maybe tell you for the first time, if you haven't heard that Adam King and I will be live on uh, Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern time, which means some NBA games will be going on. We'll be either talking about the games as they're being played. Uh, Some start a little earlier in that day, so there will be some games that are over with that we can talk about as well. Um, probably taking some questions, just going to kind of hang out for a little while and talk about fantasy basketball and regular basketball, and it's going to be fun. So don't really uh, have many expectations for it, but it should be fun to just hang out with Adam and talk basketball. So definitely come join us for that if you can. Um, And then today is Friday. I don't know if this episode will get out in time, but there are a number of injuries uh, that impact these games. I know... Victor Webinyam is out, if I'm not mistaken. Devin Booker's out. Luka Doncic is out. He just had uh, his first child, if I'm not mistaken, his first. Um, so just injuries and such to keep in mind um, that there will be probably some players that are on the waiver wire or that you don't even think about as worth picking up that are able to have some fun performances in this game or on Friday. Uh, so I seriously doubt this is going to get out in time to tell everybody before they are having to set their lineups and games are starting, but that's okay. We'll get the opportunity to talk about these performances tomorrow. I'm just foreshadowing here. Um, So let's go ahead and get into what we're going to be talking about for Dynasty today. So I'm just, you know, not a very detailed PowerPoint here uh, for everyone to follow along with, but some names of players that I'm trying to buy low on right now. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., 90th in nine cat scoring right now. Obviously, coming off a big year last year, excuse me, 88th in basketball monster. I think I pulled these numbers before their games or before games uh, were played on Thursday night. So, might be a little bit off. So, I'll be, I guess, cross referencing those as I'm. Uh, talking about him to make sure I get actually the correct number. But 88th would be the second worst finish of his career. Uh, His rookie year, he was 89th. What's the reasoning behind that? We got to, you know, you can just take the nine cap value for what it is, but I think it's far more important to look at what the reasoning is behind that. He's shooting 41.4% from the floor. That's the worst of his career. He did shoot 41.5%. Uh, during the 2021-2022 season uh, before hopping up to 50.6% last year. So kind of regressed a little bit. It's hard to say based on the numbers because they really do fluctuate every year for him as to whether or not 
he just had a good shooting season last year and is regressing to what we should expect for him, or if he's just having, I mean, I, I would say he's having a poor start to this season, but um, is that a direct result of John Morant being absent from the lineup? I think it is, but just looking at the numbers, it's kind of hard to say that. That's why you got to add in the context to every number that you're given. Uh, hitting 1.43s, that's the lowest since his rookie season. Um, the scoring is up 19.5 points. That's a career high. 15.6 attempts per game from the floor, 6.2 free throw attempts per game, both career highs as well. I think that was kind of the expectation for him coming into this season was that he was going to have to take on a larger role offensively. And I don't think anybody, not nobody thought this, but the expectation was that he'd be able to maintain his block numbers while doing that. Last season, I don't have the exact, I can pull up the numbers as I'm saying this. Um, when John Morant wasn't on the floor, or excuse me, wasn't in the lineup, Jaron Jackson Jr., his block numbers suffered. Um, so, I guess that could have been the expectation coming in this into this season uh, was that he would kind of struggle. So, excuse me, I'm now I'm wrong. So as I'm saying this, um, he averaged 2.9 blocks per game last year. There was a couple of games where it was poor. Um, he had a zero block game, a few one block games. So let me correct myself as I just tried to make this point um, that we should have all seen this coming because the numbers last year actually supported that. So I'm glad I fact-checked that. He did have an eight-block game um, in 24 minutes against the Hawks without John there, a couple of five- and four-block games. So he did have a few uh, games where he was really struggling to get blocks or it seemed like he was struggling in, in comparison to what he normally does. There was a stretch where John Morant was out for most of March, and he went two blocks, two blocks, one block, two block, zero blocks, one block, and then had back-to-back four-block games. So I, I remember during that stretch writing blurbs and saying, hey, his blocks are kind of suffering as he's scoring more because he did have a few 20-point games right in there. That's where that memory is coming from. I'm not just totally BSing here. Um, but that was also just in comparison to what he was doing last season where he averaged three blocks per game which is his career high, led the league last year. So he's down to 1.8 this year, which is, you know, lowest over the past two seasons, which, you know, not that bad. But I think the reason that his nine cap value has been so high the past two years, where he was 12th and 38th per basketball monster, was the three blocks and 2.3 blocks per game. That's, I mean, that's why you're drafting Jaron Jackson Jr., not because, you know, he gets – the versatility of he can give you a 1.5 ish threes. Um, but it's mostly for the blocks. And I think two reasons that he hasn't been quite as good this year are the blocks aren't quite as scarce this year. Like there's a number of shot blockers that weren't there last year, a few rookies and just a few guys that are weren't coming on the scene until late last year that are now in full-time roles, such as a Mark Williams. I don't think Jalen Duran's block numbers are, insane but just in like more shot blockers this year so the scarcity isn't quite there and also his numbers are a little bit down however uh john morant i believe will be back within the like about three weeks i don't remember the exact game um and i think 
my original math was right around Christmas, but I think the end season tournament games bumped that up a little bit. Um, so it'll be, I think, less than three weeks till John Morant's back. And then Jaron Jackson Jr. can get back to what he was doing. So what does that look like? Is that three blocks per game, a higher field goal percentage because teams aren't as worried about him as uh, we'll say the third option, uh, say John, Desmond Bain are the top two options, and he's able to benefit from that. I mean, the, that's probably what we're hoping for here. Personally, I think it's just going to get better from job ja being back, like having that point guard presence. Uh, Marcus Smart's been hurt as well. So, I mean, Derek Rose, I believe, had a start the other night, but for the most part, I mean, he's been coming off the bench. It just hasn't been an easy season for Darren Jackson so far. Um, I think this is the perfect time to kind of buy low. Um, you can take it as, oh, Darren Jackson Jr. had an opportunity to take over as the star, and he didn't do it. And maybe you can buy low based off that, but I think there's nothing wrong with that. I don't think that a team – like there aren't many players where you can comfortably say, hey, I'll build around this player and we can win a championship. Like there are teams that build around players that probably are just never going to win a championship barring them having the best team ever built around them. Like there are guys that you build around knowing that, hey, this roster doesn't have to be perfect, but this player is able to do these things so we can win a championship. Jaron Jackson Jr. is not that type of player, but as a second or third option where he can prioritize defense, you know, that's a perfect situation for him. Um, I suspect that when John Morant is back, uh, those numbers will go up. So the buy low window will probably last about another three weeks or so for him. Uh, the next one's Walker Kessler, uh, currently 101st in nine cat leagues, uh, only playing 24.4 minutes, um, averaging 8.9 points, 7.9 boards, two and a half blocks, shooting 54% from the field, um, poor free throw percentage, but he doesn't shoot much or many free throws. Um, last year, he was 57th in nine cat leagues, 2.3 blocks. So the blocks are actually up. The minutes are up. The difference is that his field goal percentage last year was 72%. Now it's a modest 54%. You know, going from this dramatically impressive field goal percentage to this, you know, average field goal percentage for a center that's only really taking shots at the basket believe he has expanded his yeah he's hit two threes this year he's trying has shown the ability to expand his range a little bit um but really the minutes have just been down for him they haven't been there for him he's been coming off the bench even recently um it makes it look like it's messy in utah just looking at their rotations every night um, but i think you know it's kind of easy to see who are the guys that are there for the long run and who are just the guys that are there seeing minutes right now? You know, Keontae George is the point guard of the future there. Um, Walker Kessler is the center of the future. Lowry Markinen is the forward. We'll say small forward, power forward kind of depends on like moving forward. It kind of depends on what their roster looks like. Like right now it makes sense for him to be the small forward past that. Who knows? Like there are other guys on this roster. John Collins was a guy that they, traded for really just to kind of, I mean, they bought low on John Collins. His value was at an all-time low. Hey, let's see if we can get his value back up by playing like him, playing him, letting him play better. And then maybe we can, I would assume they're going to look to trade him at some point. 
um, especially if they're kind of out of the run, like the playoff uh, chase, playoff picture, I guess is probably the best way to put that. They may look to trade him. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure his, his value is higher than it was this summer. Was it Rudy Gay in a second for him? Um, so that's that's buying low on a guy that was – you know, 2010 guy for a season. So um, getting off track there, but Walker Kessler, I think this is a great time to buy low. Utah is still in a rebuilding phase. I don't think that this buy low period is going to expire soon. Um, Maybe later on in the season, but I think Walker Kessler kind of showed final two months last year where he was a, a second round value during that final stretch, what he can be. But now the Jazz are not a team that's probably going to be competing for a postseason spot by the end of things. So this is a good time to buy low. I think over the next couple of months is like still going to be a good time to buy low. He just came back from injury and has had some big block performances recently. So it's probably going to be a little bit harder to get in on that. But you know, I don't think that if they move him back into the starting unit, his minutes have still been kind of low even when he was starting earlier this season. So the buy low window, I think is going to be there for him for a little bit. And then it's just about kind of taking advantage of what works. So uh, Jalen Williams is my last buy low. Um, after you know, he was 73rd, according to basketball monster last year in nine cat leagues, 98th so far this year. Uh, he was another guy like Walker Kessler. Those two were phenomenal down the stretch. I think uh, it was second round value. He may have been right there 20th in basketball monster over the final two months of the season. Steal rate was insane, um, but it it just hasn't been there this year. And he's only averaging 0.7 steals per game. He's still young, so we don't really know. If I'm not mistaken, based off his college numbers, he didn't really have the steal rate in college. And then he came in had it as a rookie and then hasn't had it this year. He's taken on a larger offensive role. He's been a very good player, but the reason his value was so high last year was because of the steals. And they just haven't been there. So that obviously makes his value look pretty bad in comparison. I think that, you know, the steal rate, it's 0.7 steals per game this year. I think it's just a volatile stat. He's not now we kind of know that hey, he's not going to guarantee these numbers, but we know that he's capable of getting there. I think that we should see better steal numbers at some point. Like his value isn't going to get much lower than this because his stats aren't going to get much worse than this 17.3 points, 4.1 boards, 3.7 assists, 0.7 seals, still shooting 50% from the floor, free throw percentage is up a, a three per game. It's not dramatically improved from his numbers last year. It's just like little incremental improvements. So I would think that the steals are better than what they are um, by the end of the season. Is that going to happen? It's a volatile stat. It's kind of hard to exactly predict. Um, But I would imagine it goes up. So this is just based off that similarly to Jaron Jackson Jr., except without like the dramatic John Morant's back, he should improve. I just personally think that Jalen Williams, even though he has been playing well to start the season, the the steal rate being down hurts his value, so that makes this a pretty good time 
uh, to buy in if you can. Uh, obviously, again, with all these, it kind of depends on your league. If you have a stingy manager that has these players, it's very hard to buy low. It's also, you know, if they're just a super fan of these players or the team that they play for, that also makes it difficult to buy low. But it's just what it is. Hopefully it can uh, work out where you can buy low on these players. Um, I have two sell highs, not three. Honestly, looking through it, there weren't many players that are playing well that I am pretty confident that they uh, won't be able to maintain this pace. Um, and the first one's Tyrese Maxey. I don't want to come off as a Tyrese Maxey hater because I feel like in my last, I think it was my last episode that I did, um, I had a small Tyrese Maxey rant about him not being a top 10 player in fantasy basketball, which I don't think is an absurd take. Uh, but he has been eighth this year, according to Basketball Monster, uh, playing 38.4 minutes per game. That's the Nick Nurse effect right there. Uh, 27 points, 4.6 rebounds, 6.7 assists, 0.8 steals, 0.7 blocks, 46.4% from the field, just a hair under 90% from the free throw line, 3.33s, only 1.6 turnovers per game. I think that is arguably the most impressive part. Um, is He's just not turning the ball over, but the assists have gone up, and the minutes have gone up, and the shot attempts have gone up. The usage has gone like everything's gone up, and he's just his turnovers are up from 1.3 to 1.6 this year. That's the most impressive part to me. Um, but if we look over the past two weeks, um, the points are slightly down 26, rebounds, assists about the same, slightly down. The field goal percentage is down to 43, the blocks are down to 0.3 from 0.7, which seems minimal. But when you're looking at the value of blocks, it's ends up being kind of a pretty steep decline uh, just because, you know, getting, I think Nick Claxton's leading the league right now at right around three, maybe 2.9 per game. So when you're looking, the difference between 0.3 and 0.7 ends up being a little bit bigger. And then the field goal percentage is way down 43%. Um, free throw percentage is down to 84.1. Last year, he was an 84.5% free throw shooter. Uh, the year before 86.6. So I think because that also over the past two weeks has him as 42nd in nine cap. I think that it's kind of somewhere in between there because, and again, I don't want to come off as a maxi hater. I think that valuing him in dynasty, I think I can confidently say top 30. I don't remember what I said in the last episode. I want to say it was like top 30, top 40. Um, he's even gone up for me, I think, mentally uh, since then. So I I want to say I said confidently top 40, maybe top 30. Now I'm going to say pretty confidently top 30. But I don't think he's top 10. And just looking at the numbers, it's kind of easy to see that. The field goal percentage is down over the past couple of weeks. Um, I think he was just off to a very, very hot start. And that just wasn't something that he's going to be able to maintain over the course of the season. Um, defenses are now more keyed in on him. They have more film on what he's doing under Nick Nurse. And as the second option for Philly. And that kind of impacts, obviously, the field goal percentage. Um, 
just having defense is more keyed in on what he's doing. The free throw percentage is more towards what he, his numbers are. You know, starting off, uh, the free throw percentage has dropped to below 90%, but it was higher than that earlier this season. And that's just inflates your value when you're shooting only five and a half attempts, but not really missing. It inflates your value. So a lot of the numbers that he was like putting up early in the season are just things that were parts of a really good start. I don't think he's going to finish as a first rounder. I think it's possible he finishes at a second as a second rounder, but that's probably his ceiling, um, which again, <laughs> very good ceiling for a 23 year old. Um, so not trying to just reiterating for a third time. I don't want to come off as a Tyrese Maxi hater, but I just think that what he's done early on the season isn't something that he's going to necessarily sustain. And it's going to not continue to drop or drop dramatically, but I think small um, increments will kind of drop in multiple categories that kind of decrease his value to around I don't I don't want to give an exact number because it's hard to estimate where that will be because it's entirely dependent on how other players perform as well. But first round value, I don't think it's something that we're going to see from him for the rest of the season. My other buy low is DeAndre Ayton, uh first year in Portland. Excuse me, sell high, not buy low. This is not a buy low on DeAndre Ayton. This is a sell high. Um he is currently 46th in nine cat scoring uh 13.1 points 10.8 rebounds uh 1.3 steals 0.8 blocks shooting 59.1 percent from the floor um yeah so this pretty much comes down to i think his value is incredibly inflated by his steals his career high previously was 0.9 um in the past four years it's been 0.7 0.6 0 0.7 and now bang new team 1.3 so i went back looked um use nba.com looked at every steal he has this season and there are there are multiple where he has shown some active hands um in passing lanes or you know stripping the ball down when somebody's driving in most of them have come out of pick and roll situations which again provides him an opportunity uh, to sit in, I want I want to say drop coverage, but now I'd have to go back and look at film to actually confirm that. But sitting in in a position where he's able to, you know, force the ball handler to make a decision, intercept passes. A lot of them have been the guards poking the ball loose, and he happens to be the one to grab it, or somebody's driving him with the ball and makes a dumb pass and they just throw it right to him. And some of them, again, I'm not trying to discredit every steal he has this season, but some of them have been good plays. A lot of them have been right place, right time. Is that a product of Portland's guards getting beat and allowing ball handlers to get in the lane and then they just make poor decisions with it and he just happens to be there? Maybe. Um, also, a lot of it is pick and roll and the way that they choose to defend them that puts him in positions to get steals. Um, personally, I don't think that the 1.3 steals per game is going to 
stick for the rest of the year. Um, and then when you look at the rest of the numbers, like his shot attempts are the second lowest of his career. Um, the points are the lowest of his career. Like there's not much to be excited about for Aiton or more excited about than what we saw from him in Phoenix. Like a trade was supposed to be, oh, working wonders for his value. And then Robert Williams was added to the fold. And I was kind of like, eh, not as excited. Robert Williams goes down for the year and it's like, oh, like, let's see what DeAndre Ayton can kind of do with this. I think, yeah, it's just, it hasn't been there. They haven't made him a priority on offense. It, there's just not much to be excited about um, from Ayton. And the steal rate has kind of lifted up his value. But if you look at just the past two weeks, it's down to a steal per game and his value is down to 82. Um, part of that is a decrease in free throw percentage and increase in turnovers, slight decrease in rebounds. Like obviously there's more factors, but the steal rate is really, I mean, one of his better categories. I mean, most of his value is rebounds and field goal percentage. But I mean, if you, if you are familiar with basketball monster, which I'm sure most people are, and you look at the way it's laid out for the scoring, um, pretty consistently throughout his career, the only two things in green have been rebounds and field goal percentage. He had a couple seasons where he was good at shot blocking. Um, this year he has a green under steals. So again, 1.3 is over double what he had last year and pretty much double what he's had his entire career aside from his rookie year. Not something I think is going to stick. I think his value is going to drop. I don't think he's a top 50 player in fantasy basketball. Again, not an outlandish statement, but that's kind of what the numbers are saying right now. So just something to, uh, I guess, keep in mind if you're able to, if you have him um, and you're looking to move off of him, do it soon. <laughs> the steals, like we were just talking about with Jalen Williams a few minutes ago, it's a volatile stat. It won't be there consistently. Who knows? Like, he could just go a couple games in a row where point guards don't throw dumb passes and hand him the ball. That happens. So it could uh, could go away pretty quickly. So I guess move off while you still can. Um, just wanted to give some rookie shout-outs. Um, just rookies that are, I think, playing well or better than expected. Um. First one is Brandon Miller, the number two overall pick. Uh, okay, obviously, Victor Wembanyama, Chet Holmgren, cool. We can spend every single podcast that we talk about rookies or every single tweet talking about rookies talking about those two. They've been phenomenal. Asar Thompson has gotten a ton of praise, and I'm not saying some of the guys in this list haven't gotten praise. Um, but I think that Asar Thompson, in my mind, has kind of been seen as like the third rookie that has played really well. It's like Chet Wemby, Wemby Chet, whatever you want to say. And then Asar Thompson is like the third one there. So this isn't me hating on Asar Thompson or leaving him out. This is me saying, I think he has gotten a lot of praise and deserves it. And I just want to highlight some other guys again, even if some of them have gotten a good bit of praise as well, maybe not enough for me. Um, so the first one, again, Brandon Miller, Number two overall pick um, was pretty controversial uh, just because I think a lot of people really like Scoot Henderson. I really like Scoot Henderson. Fortunately, he hasn't quite as good this year, but um, 
Nine starts so far this season, 13.8 points, 3.2 rebounds, 2.1 assists, uh, 1.7 threes. He's back in the starting lineup now. Um, excuse me, he missed their last game because he was injured. But with LaMelo Ball set to be reevaluated, uh, I believe, next week, and reevaluated next week does not mean he's coming back anytime soon. It means that they'll have a better timeline for him. So who knows how long he'll be out. Um, I think I said this in, where did I say it? Maybe on my, I think I did a podcast with Doc for Rotowire, and we were talking about LaMelo, and it's like 29 other teams other than Charlotte are, if they say, oh, a player's doubtful, that means they're probably not as injured as we thought. Um, so when Charlotte listed LaMelo as doubtful, I think a couple people probably reacted like, oh, hey, LaMelo may only miss a few games. But they forgot that last year, Cody Martin was doubtful before almost every single game before being ruled out. Um, And then I think I also talked about with Zach on our Q&A for Roto World. So Lamelo's probably going to be out a while, um, which means Brandon Miller is going to start. He'll be Rozier, Brandon Miller, Gordon Hayward, Miles Bridges, Mark Williams, assuming no more injuries. Um, He's been very solid, very impressed with him as a scorer and a shooter. He had a really good game against the Knicks, scored a career-high 29, hit five threes. Last game he played, I think he led the team in scoring with 18 points, four threes, but I think they lost. Let me actually, I can just check the box score right here. Um, Yeah, they got blown out and he did lead the team in scoring. Cool. Um, So excited to see what he continues to do kind of as a member of the starting lineup. Um, And I'm going to say this one right now. Jaime Jaquez Jr., I know last time I absolutely butchered it and then watched the Hawks play the Heat that night and realized that I absolutely butchered it. So apologies. Um, Past two weeks, averaging 16.9 points, 4.7 rebounds, 2.9 assists, one steal, 1.7 threes, shooting 56.8% from the floor. I think this is kind of a a case of, I mean, even before the draft, a lot of people were saying, oh, Heat are taking Jaime Jaquez, like, he fits heat culture. He is heat culture. They pick him uh, earlier than I think many people expected. And yeah, he's fit in exactly how we thought he would very well. And he's been able to see enough minutes and play well enough that even though he isn't like, okay, uh, Anthony Black, for example, when he starts playing a big role, I think he's been able to see some starts recently, but he doesn't end up playing big minutes. But it was kind of like, okay, when Anthony Black's in the game, you think he's going to get some steals. Defensive player, um, you know, looking for some assists as well. Not really looking for threes, but steals is kind of where he's going to make his money. Hakez doesn't have, in my opinion, like a category where it's like, oh, that's what he's going to dominate. It, it seems like he's been a very good scorer, and I think, especially for a rookie, you know, past two weeks, 16.9 points, past four games, 17.8 points, shooting a high percentage. JJ Redick talked about it um, on his podcast a couple weeks ago, saying that just more teams should draft like players that like basketball and are just hoopers. And I think with fantasy basketball, sometimes we get caught up in um, advanced stats and like rates for different stats and, projections nba teams do it as well 
sometimes it works out incredibly well. Other times it doesn't, but there's things that are hard to measure with um, stats for a player or that you can't measure that are important factors as well. So I think that's something that like I've kind of learned in the process of um, scouting is that, you know, you can compare advanced stats, compare numbers all you want. Sometimes it just comes down to other things and it's not something you can measure. So shout out to Jaime Jaquez been playing incredibly well. Uh, I don't think he's going anywhere. Like he's, going to continue to play really well and produce really good value. So if you have him in a redraft league, I have him in a redraft league. Um, and I'm excited about that. I think I have him. I may have him in multiple. I know I have him in, in at least one. Um, the next one's Craig Porter jr. Um, if I'm not mistaken, went undrafted. Actually I can make sure I'm not mistaken. Instead of just saying, yeah, undrafted. Cool. Um, signed a two-way contract with Cleveland and then randomly got in a game. Um, I believe that was a game where they were without a few rotation players um, off the bench. Played 15 point, uh, we'll just say 16 minutes. Had 12 points, three rebounds, five assists. Uh, next game, I believe Donovan Mitchell was out as well. So he had 21 points, four rebounds, Forces two steals a block. He had a couple starts. Um, had a twelve point nine assist game, a sixteen point five assist game, and then I think that's when um, rotation pieces kind of got back. So his minutes dropped. Still scored eleven, and then pretty much out of the lineup. Now that they're fully healthy, and it's kind of, or out of the rotation now that they're fully healthy, which is kind of annoying considering how well he played. I understand like wanting to get back to the rotations, but if a player is playing that well. In my opinion, it makes sense to roll with him. Um, but that's just kind of the reality of it. Um, even if you know he doesn't really get much of an opportunity uh, from now on to be able to put up numbers, like shout out to Craig Porter Jr. for having a really good stretch of games. Will we see it more in the future? Maybe if there's injuries, I guess I'm going to keep in mind. Um, maybe this is a situation where we see what he does and then he just continues to work in the G league on a two-way deal. And within a couple of seasons, maybe he's kind of getting be- like a more of a consistent role. So something to keep in mind, I'm sh- I'm sure nobody is unaware of Craig Porter Jr.'s stretch of games, but it seems to be over for now, unfortunately. Um, Derek Lively Jr. I know he's been talked about a good bit as well. Um, was one of the few rookies to kind of, be a starter early on uh, so far this year, 8.1 7.5 rebounds, 1.1 blocks, 71.1% from the floor, 24.3 minutes per game. Um, we'd like to see the minutes be higher, but Dallas has always been kind of weird about their centers, or at least has been for the last few years. Like Dwight Powell was a pretty consistent starter last year and he would check the box score and he would play that 12 minutes. And it's like, okay, why are you starting him? If you're barely going to play him, it's just kind of weird, but uh, so getting 24.3 minutes is good out of him. It's the traditional center stats. It's nothing else super fancy. Um, benefiting from having Kyrie and Luca throw you the ball definitely helps out a center a lot. Um, not a ton to say there other than good job, Derek Lively. Um, he's been very solid 
not quite the explosive double double with a block and a half to two blocks, but maybe we see that as the season progresses. He's only played 15 games as a rookie. Um, so hopefully we'll continue to see the numbers rise, but he's been, I think very solid so far, especially kind of coming in as more of a raw prospect that didn't really put up numbers necessarily at Duke either. So um, nice to see him kind of taking advantage of his own talent and making it work for him. Uh, the last rookie shout out Jordan Hawkins. Um, this is probably the, one of the last times, maybe not the, one of the last times, but uh, he's gotten a lot of hype the past few weeks as a scorer and a shooter. And I think he will still play a decent size role for the Pelicans, but they're starting to get healthier. Uh, Trey Murphy is playing for the first time this season on Friday night. Um, which kind of bumps Jordan Hawkins back in the pecking order. CJ McCollum, I don't remember if he's back yet, but he's back soon. Um, so that'll push back Dyson Daniels as well. So Dyson Daniels and Jordan Hawkins were two guys that were able to take advantage of opportunities early on this season. Um, Hawkins, as a rookie, uh, 13.5 points, 2.8 threes, 4.1 rebounds, 2.1 assists so far this year. Um just looking back, preseason, uh, he had four preseason games, shot better than 40% in one of them, shot worse than that in the others, other three. Summer League, um, again, he had a game where he shot, I think this is like one for 12, and then like two for 13, and a couple other like 40-ish percentage games. So, you know, shooters, especially like a young guy, like he's going to shoot tough shots. He's going to shoot threes, not get as many easy looks. So the field goal percentage, of course, is going to be down um, in comparison to guys that are getting to the basket a little bit more. But what's been notable is the 28.6 minutes per game that he's played so far this year. I don't foresee that sticking around um, with Trey Murphy back in the lineup. So he's had a really good stretch game so far, and I think he's still like his shooting presence is important to a Pelicans team that and has been even more important recently with Trey Murphy out. Like Herb Jones has been improved this season as a shooter, but like Zion's not shooting. Um, Brandon Ingram is a scorer, but he's not like an elite shooter, like a floor space the way Jordan Hawkins is. Dyson Daniels isn't a great shooter. Like having Hawkins there makes sense for this team. So the minutes aren't going to be gone entirely, but it's just going to be fewer than what he's seen so far. Um, and then <laughs> this one's kind of fun. This is just kind of me speculating here what to do about Chicago and what to do about Jordan Poole. So Chicago's a mess. Um, the update as of right now is, you know, DeMar DeRozan has his preferred destinations of Miami and New York, um, which I don't know how adding in a scorer that can't really shoot the ball, not that he can't shoot the ball, but he's not a three-point threat. Um, helps either of those teams much considering I guess New, New York has shooters kind of across the board. Um, Jimmy Butler's not really a shooter for Miami, so I don't really know how that team fits and also like what a trade package looks like. What are these teams having to give up? Um, that's kind of an interesting fit. We'll see what happens with him. Zach Levine apparently reportedly has – no real trade interest. Like nobody's really interested in him based off of his performance this season, um, which is 
kind of interesting. I guess nobody wants to take on the big contract uh, for a guy that is, I guess, dealing with some injuries or dealing with an injury, which probably isn't as much of a factor as just his play this season. Like he's six round value in nine cat, which isn't that far off from his ADP, which I don't know off the top of my head, but I know it's kind of around there. Um, but it's, you know, plays that you can just by watching the games, like see, and like, if you examine individual box scores, you can even see it. Um, there have been really good games and there have been games that just, he like, you can look at the box score and say, Hey, he didn't look interested and look at the film and say, Hey, he didn't look interested. That lines up. Um, does a trade rejuvenate that maybe. Um, but right now it's just kind of a mess. Neither of those guys played in their last game and they just beat the Bucks in overtime. Uh, Alex Crusoe had a sick drifting three to force overtime. Vooch had his best game of the season. It was just kind of what you want to see um, from a team that was playing without its top two scoring options. But it's like, okay, you know, obviously you can joke about drawing the conclusion that, hey, those guys are holding them back. But I think it's Role players stepping up, taking advantage of the opportunity. The Bucks maybe kind of glancing over it, saying, "Hey, wow, they really don't have many scoring options now." Um, it just happens. It's the NBA. Anybody can win any given night. Um, but I think Alex Caruso is going to be the guy that draws the most trade interest, um, just because probably the price is a little bit lower, even if he makes arguably the most impact on a contending team just because he can fit in without changing too much of what a team does offensively. Um, so I don't know if I'm Chicago from putting on my, my GM hat, which I, one, I seriously doubt this happens uh, because I know that there are other factors that I can not even think or not even know about that, are, that come into play, but I would be trying to move off of Vooch, Levine, DeRozan, and Alex Caruso by the trade deadline. So over the next two months, just because, you know, those top three, Vooch, Levine, DeRozan, are talented players that can still impact winning. Like they're, but they're also borderline all-stars. Um, like obviously not playing at an all-star level, but have been all-stars in the last handful of seasons. Um, talented players. I think that they can be good scoring options for teams and they're wasting away their, you know, and probably the end of their prime for Vooch and DeRozan and prime years for Levine on a team that probably isn't going to make the playoffs based on how they've started the season. And Caruso is again, a team that, or a player that 29 other teams will have interest in, um, especially contending teams getting a nice haul of picks and pieces and then starting a rebuild, seeing what Kobe white can do, seeing what Patrick Williams can do, finding minutes for, you know, Julian Phillips, your only draft pick, uh, Dale and Terry, if you can, I would assume like doing things like that would be beneficial for your franchise. Like let's just acknowledge that, Hey, this could have worked out if Lonzo stayed healthy, um, and it just hasn't. Yeah, I think that they were a very dangerous team that first year. They looked very good, and then Lonzo like hasn't really been able to play since then, and taking away a playmaker and defender like Lonzo, just everything kind of falls apart. Okay, cool. We'll 
keep Lonzo around. Hopefully he can play again. Like that would be awesome to see, but kind of move off of the old guard and seeing what we have with Kobe White, Patrick Williams, et cetera. Um, maybe that gives Andre Drummond minutes. I mean, we see, we know what he can do when he's on the floor as far as rebounding. He's not going to give you uh, help in many other categories, but he'll rebound. He'll be a, a monster rebounder, would be worth a pickup um, if that happens. So we'll see what they're able to do. I seriously doubt they're able to trade Vooch, Levine, and DeRozan. I don't like bare minimum. I think Vooch probably is the one that sticks around. I think it makes sense to just kind of trade all of them. Um, but we'll see what happens. Um, at this point, it gets hard to really make moves based around them. But assuming that, I don't know, I'm not, even if their value would go up from a trade, like I'm not super interested in DeMar, Levine, or Vooch in training for any of them in Dynasty right now. Uh, same thing with Caruso. I think it's he's playing really well. Um, I don't see him having as large of an offensive role no matter where he's traded. And his offensive role isn't really that large right now. Um, the players that I would be interested in are the Kobe White, Patrick Williams, Desumu, guys like that. I'm assuming that they're going to be able to get a couple of young guys back in any sort of trade. Like it wouldn't be just strictly picks. So uh, opportunities, I think, will open up in two months. So it's about getting ahead of that. Kobe White's already been really good uh, as far as being a scorer. And Patrick Williams has been a little bit better as of late. But I think his he he's not a guy I was very high on, but I think his growth was stunted a little bit by Levine and DeRosa being the main scoring options, and he wasn't able to really develop as much offensively. Hopefully he'll be able to get that opportunity over the rest of the season um, once Chicago has finally blown it up. But again, we'll see if that happens. Fingers crossed. I think it would be beneficial for everybody, uh, whether it's their team, other teams that they're making trades with, and fantasy managers like it just kind of benefits everybody for them to move on um we'll see if it happens they didn't make a, a move at the deadline last season when it made sense to and now it's a year later so they're probably not gonna be able to get as much value as they could have last year at this time but we'll see um and then jordan pool man he has been disappointing it feels like zach um and i talk about him every week on our q a we jokingly talked about it this last time about being our weekly jordan pool hate session and Goodness, he's just been very disappointing. And it was the reason that I say that is one, no, I'm not trying to hate on Jordan Poole. No, I don't hate Jordan Poole. But Zach and I are, like most people, very high on Jordan Poole coming into this season. Uh, 17.4 points, uh, which is lower than his past two seasons. Uh, three and a half assists, lower than his past two seasons. 1.2 steals, highest uh, of his career. Um, two threes, lowest of the past two seasons. 39.8% from the floor, lowest since his rookie year. Um, 85% from the line on 3.5 attempts. Uh, I know Mitch Casey asked in our Q&A a couple weeks ago, Zach, Zach and I's Q&A about his free throw rate. It seems like last year his free throw rate was just up. Um, and even as a focal point of the offense this year, um, he hasn't been able to get to the line quite as much. Uh, last few games, last couple of weeks, it's really gone back up. to It's 5.3 over the past two weeks. So maybe he's able to find something to get some offense going there, but the field goal percentage has actually been worse. It's 38.4 over the past two weeks. So it's just been tremendously disappointing. But if you look at it, like his usage is actually lower than it was last year in Golden State, which is it's just crazy to me. I think the idea was that Jordan Poole is going to come to Washington and – 
you know, when he got the opportunity in Golden State, like he was he was chucking the ball when he was starting. Um, sometimes it worked out really well. Sometimes he had bad shooting nights. I think that's what kind of everybody was prepared for this year. The field goal percentage wasn't going to be great, but the scoring was going to be really good, like 25-plus points. Um, but that hasn't been the case at all. In my mind, it's like it's not going to get worse. This is the all-time – you know what? That'll be my uh, another buy-low option, I guess. Jordan Poole. And you're doing with the this with the idea that, like, I mean, heck, it can't get much worse than this. So we have to really be buying low. But it can't like, – sorry to keep saying it, but it can't get much worse than this, right? Like, it has been pretty bad to start, like, this season. Like, disappointing in ways that we didn't even know was possible. Um, when he is on the floor, you just know, like, a Shaq in a full moment is coming. Um but it's not going to stop him from doing those things, right? So at some point, I imagine it's going to click a little bit. Is he going to be a guy that can score 25 points, dish out five assists, hit four threes, shoot 45%? Nah, it doesn't seem like it. But I think that it will be better, perhaps more reminiscent of two years ago with Golden State, but maybe like a little bit more inflated as far as the volume. Um, but yeah, I mean, it hasn't been fun. Like the number, the efficiency has been down, but the field goal attempts are about the same as last year. Um, the minutes are about the same, slightly down. So it's not like, oh, he, they're just playing him 36 minutes a night and he just sucks. Like the opportunity hasn't actually really increased for him, which I think is part of the disappointment is that one, he has to take advantage of the opportunity, but also two even as the one of the best players on the team, he hasn't been force fed minutes, which kind of, I don't know, prevents him from putting up big time numbers. So we'll see if that changes. Um, my advice would be to buy low on Jordan Poole. My advice would also be not to sell this low. Cause I mean, it doesn't take much for it to get better than what it is right now. And I imagine it will be, better what is better i don't know but better than this i don't think that's a uh, ridiculous statement um and then quickly before we end this i just want to talk about the industry pickup league um i guess give an update on how my team is doing i haven't really done that um so actually i'm going to so look look back at the draft uh some of the moves i made and then uh, i put matchups on the slide but really it's kind of like how scoring has gone for me so far. So let me, I sound like I'm in a Zoom meeting right now. Let me share my screen real quick. All right. So here's my draft, or here's the draft board. I picked second um, in between Josh Lloyd and Rhett Bauer. Um, I went and beaten two, fine with that. Cat it, 23, that has been fine. And then it's a stretch of picks that I'm not happy about. Um, I went Jimmy Butler, who hasn't been bad. He's missed a couple games. Hasn't been great. Hasn't been what I want out of a third-round pick. Um, looking there, just a few picks after. Um, I know I went two centers, but maybe it would have been nice to get Bam there. Um, De'Aaron Fox has been fantastic. Um, obviously, a guy like Chet Holmgren that Adam King was able to get uh, with a later pick was another good option, but... 
I guess not quite as many guys where I'm like, shoot, I really wish I would have got this player that went right after. But that happens with the next round. I went Jordan Poole and DeMar DeRozan, two guys that I just spent an entire slide ripping. And I went Jordan Poole with the understanding that he's not going to get back around to me next round. Um, I know I was like, because I did the podcast with Adam talking about it. I know I was talking about Tyrese Maxey there, but I said, I know Josh likes Jordan Poole. I'm going to get Jordan Poole because I know he's not going to make it back around. And then Josh made two excellent picks with Claxton and Tyrese Maxey. And I went to Mar DeRozan instead of Devin Vassell. Um, yeah, I absolutely hate that turn of events right there. Um, that just sucks. <laughs> um, probably why Josh has the best record in the league and I'm in the middle of the pack. Um, Anthony Simons, uh, I still really like. I'm happy about that pick. He's just been hurt, which kind of stinks. Andrew Wiggins has been incredibly disappointing. Um, but again, kind of looking at the few picks after, I'm not necessarily – I mean, yes, he hasn't been as good as some of them, but there's nobody that sticks out to me as like, wow, I really wish I would have went with that player. Um, then I went DeAnthony Melton, um, who I'm, I'm happy with. I'm happy with DeAnthony Melton. Um, he hasn't been quite as good as I expect him to be uh, with James Harden out of the picture, but happy with that. I'm in the eighth round. I went PJ Washington kind of with the expectation that Miles Bridges was going to be suspended longer. Um, obviously that hasn't happened now. Well, it was a pretty good start to the year. Kind of feels like now the upside's gone there. Not really happy about that one now. Uh, Buddy Heald, I'm ecstatic about. I talked about it with uh, Josh on his show um, before the season about the idea that Buddy Heald could move into the starting lineup. Like Rick Carlisle may not be devoted to Benedict Matherin um, as a starter. So that that's what ended up happening. It, it's not like this isn't me uh, victory lapping that because it was just me speculating. Um, glad it happened, but the reason that Josh and I were even talking about it is because I had Buddy Heald ranked way too high at the time. Um, happy to get him at the end of round 10, though. Um, went Zubats. Uh, I, I remember specifically saying to Adam, hey, I just really need rebounds. So I'm not mad about that pick. Um, I needed another center, and I needed some rebounding. Uh, went Christian Brown after that, who I'm pretty sure I, I dropped pretty quickly. Um, pretty disappointing to start, but has had some good games recently. Um, Sadiq Bay, I'm happy about. Um, he hasn't been really, really good, um, but he's starting now after Jalen Johnson took the job and then got injured. Um, was pretty sad that I couldn't get Jalen Johnson. I definitely had my eye on him, but he went a number of picks before me, and I know that if he, if Adam didn't get him beginning of the 12th round that I know at least Mitch Casey would have gone him. And I'm pretty sure there was somebody else in the draft room that would have taken him as well. So I wasn't that upset about that. Um, actually, while I have this up, cause I'm just looking at this now. Um, there's been, I mean, definitely some interesting picks. I think you can kind of look at everybody's that have been uh, some of them have been disappointing picks. Some of them have been really good picks. Um, I know Drew Dinkmeyer from established the run. Um, his, I think he's co-managing that team with Mike Gallagher. Uh, they were able to get Trey Murphy in round 12, Miles Bridges round 14. That's obviously worked out really well. Uh, Alex Barutha got Cam Thomas round 14. Some of these late round picks, my late round flyer was Jonathan Isaac, which 
you know, I think he's been really good in his minutes, but um, I don't believe he's on my roster anymore. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and pull up my roster. You can see who I still have. Um, so a lot of it is the same. A few different players um, are Caleb Martin, who I picked up because he was starting to see more minutes um, with Heywood Highsmith injured. I'm probably going to drop him pretty soon. I'm not going to say who I'm going to pick up or anything like that because I haven't looked, but probably going to drop him. Dyson Daniels has been really good. Um, I don't know how much longer I'll hang on to him with CJ McCollum set to come back um, just because the opportunity is kind of gone. And then Jaime Jaquez is the other guy um, that I was able to pick up. Um, and now I'm going to – we can just do a quick look at the standings. Um, I'm seeing at 22 and 23 – um, let me see if I'm able to just do here. I can go matchup by matchup. I'm, if I'm not mistaken. So week one, I lost five to four to Brett Bauer. Um, let me see if this wasn't really a category that was super close that I could have pulled off. Um, point, I mean, point one percent on the, the free throws or one, excuse me, one percent on the free throws. Um, but that was, that was really it. Um, and then week two, you, you'll notice the theme lost five, four to Josh Lloyd. Um, again, not like a category that was dramatically close, just a few categories that were within a few. I could have, I mean, five blocks is a lot. So it's not like that was super close. 14 points isn't a dramatic amount. Um, six, five threes was the difference. Six more threes could have won it. So again, um, five, four lost. And then the week after that, uh, played, Established the run, which was again Drew Dinkmeyer and Mike Gallagher lost five to four um, by one block. Uh, which you know, looking at my team on that last day, kind of stinks. I mean, coming within one block of a team that has Brooke Lopez, Rudy Gobert, Jaron Jackson Jr., Herb Jones, that was impressive enough as it is. So, um, not to toot my own horn because it's like literally just getting lucky. Um, I probably shouldn't have won that category or even really came that close. So can't be too mad about that um, with a third straight five, four loss to open the year. Um, got something going in week four, uh, beat Dan Titus six to three. Uh, my first technical win uh, to kind of even out my record a little bit actually got me um, to 500. And then last week was heartbreaking I was leading most of the week, lost to Adam King five to four um, by one assist. And I'm like sitting there watching the, uh, was who did Denver play that day? Detroit. And I'm pretty sure it was the late game. And I'm watching Contavious Caldwell Pope um, feed while they're up 20. Wait, that doesn't sound right. Maybe it, what game was that? Um it was, oh, no, it was the Spurs game. He had six assists. So he has a couple other games. He has a seven-assist game and an eight-assist game. So he has a couple random games where he has a bunch of assists. But watching him just, like, feed entry passes to Jokic and Jokic scoring and then giving him assists, and just it was heartbreaking to watch because I was up one assist, and I'm, like, locked in on that game. And just watching him do that twice uh, to get me a loss really was heartbreaking. Um, so, you know. Out of my first five matchups, four of them were five, four losses, which lovely. Uh, right currently, I'm beating Mike Barner five to four. Um, both have played 25 games, two days left. 
So we'll see how this goes. Um, if there's any stats that are nothing dramatically close, but nothing is out of range. I guess 0.03% for the field goal percentage is dramatically close. My field, my free throw percentage, I think, looks like it's pretty good. A lot of this is going to depend on if Joel Embiid plays tonight. Um, hopefully he does. Hopefully nobody listens to this episode and they're like, oh, man, Noah's definitely going to lose because Embiid had the sniffles again. So hopefully we're, uh, we have some good news uh, on that front. Um, and then last thing, in-season tournament, um, I'm sure that everybody has seen enough information about it uh, to know exactly what's going on. But I just wanted to summarize partially because when I was appearing with Doc on the RotoWire podcast, uh, I think I said it wrong because I wasn't up to date with the information and it was confusing to me uh, based on the way it worked. I knew that games were going to be filled out that hadn't been filled out yet. I just didn't know that all the dates were basically set up for what was going to happen. We just didn't know who was playing. So there's no games on this Sunday. So keep that in mind for your matchups. The last day is Saturday. So if you have a games played limit like we do in the industry pickup league, make sure you hit that on Saturday, not trying to hold off on Sunday. And the following Sunday is the same thing. Uh, two games, Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Those will be Monday and Tuesday games will be the first round of the in-season tournament. Thursday will be the second round of the in-season tournament uh, for the championship on Saturday, which again does not count for fantasy basketball. It'll be an 83rd game for those teams. Um, just enjoy hoops. No reason to even consider fantasy basketball. So keep that in mind next week as well. Friday should be the last game of those matchups. 11 games on Wednesday. These are all the teams that didn't play in the in-season tournament or didn't qualify for the for Vegas. And 13 games on Friday. The teams that lose on Monday and Tuesday will play each other on Friday, as well as all the teams that played on Wednesday. Um, so everybody has two games next week. That was something that I wasn't entirely clear on because I didn't realize that they were going to have games on that Sunday um, and that they were going to space out, which makes sense to space out the in-season tournament games on Monday and Tuesday uh, for more coverage makes sense. Should have understood that from the beginning because again, just makes sense. Um, so this is the way it's going to look. I don't, I don't find it confusing anymore. Hopefully nobody else does either. Um, it shouldn't dramatically impact fantasy basketball. Um, it will provide an advantage for, managers that have uh, players playing on Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday, since they should also have players playing on Wednesday and Friday, won't have to make the tough lineup decisions of benching players when everybody's kind of playing um, and can just maximize their games played. So hopefully that'll work out in your favor. If you have guys playing on Monday or Tuesday, make sure you're rooting for them to win so that they can play on Thursday. And that's kind of the important thing there don't really care if they win Thursday because Saturday game doesn't count. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of all I have. Um, this was over an hour, which I didn't expect to get to that much time, but I should have also foreseen that because of how much I ramble. Um, but that is going to do it for this episode. Make sure you uh, follow us on Twitter or X, if you like at FBI basketball Um you can check out fbi-basketball.com. Follow me personally at NoahRubin22. Like, rate, review this podcast or show, depending on where you're consuming it. And be on the lookout for me and Adam to be live in about 26 hours from the time of me recording it. But I'm sure even less than that um, for the time of you listening to this. But that'll be 8 p.m. Eastern time on Saturday. And thank you for listening to this episode.
You just listened to another episode from the Fantasy Basketball International Podcast Network. Thanks for joining us. And for more information about joining our community, please check out our website at fbibasketball.com.